Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about live love. This is my particular contextual definition as we move through the series, Live Love. It's not only a campaign, it's also a teaching series that I'm doing with the church with some definite goals in mind, all right? Live love means that in every day, would you all say every day? In everyday situations, you make a purposeful decision. Now, that's what I'm trying to move you toward gently and pastorally, that you would make a purposeful decision to live like Jesus. High order, seems out of reach sometimes, especially when you kind of feel carnal or not with it and can't really make it happen. Uh, But the Bible's pretty clear about this, that when you're born again and Jesus lives in you, the goal is to actually live like Jesus. How many of you would say you have a little bit of room to improve in that area? So we all feel that all the time. Nevertheless, the fact of the Bible points us toward that we should have a goal to live like Jesus and share his love with grace-filled actions that engage people in need. Luke 8, 36 was my parting scripture last week in our series talking about the virtue that should be in every person. Now, the bottom line for Luke 8, 36 is simply, you cannot give what you do not have. If you don't possess Jesus, you cannot give Jesus. If you don't have a spiritual virtue in you, You can't pour out to other people that particular virtue to touch their lives. The Lord Jesus defines virtue in this verse, in this story, in a very, very significant way. The woman had a need. She spent all of her money. She needed healing. She could not go any further in life. She needed something to happen. She was desperate enough to get onto the ground of that dusty road and crawl on the ground and touch the hem of his garment. She had to be on the ground with the crowd to find the garment. And there, when that woman touched the hem of the garment, something in Jesus went to that woman. Her faith connected with his virtue. Immediately, Jesus stopped and said, someone had touched me. The disciples said, really? You know, the whole crowd touching you, Jesus. Why are you even bringing that up? He says, no, it's not a touch like that. It's a touch of faith. It's a touch of a desperate heart. It's a touch of a person that's received something from me. They have extracted from my bank account. They have extracted from my well, my deposit. My virtue has left me, and it's gone out and touched that person's life. Who is it? Finally, the woman came forward and said, it's me. I was healed, and she gives her testimony. My point simply being, every person in this life needs to have virtue. Now, the virtue I'm talking about is the virtue that Christ gives not the virtue of other things. We could talk about courage and different character virtues that actually a person who doesn't know Jesus can have some of those virtues in life that we all want, even character, integrity, and and honesty, and all those things. So I'm not talking about just those particular virtues. I'm talking about one kind of virtue, the virtue that comes with knowing Jesus. The virtue is actually the substance, Jesus. It's spiritual. It's eternal. It's biblical. It's defined. It's dunamis. It's power. The virtue that was released from Jesus is actually that power that creates a miracle. The possibility 
for a miracle is created by the virtue that Jesus possessed. The possibility that something could happen in someone else's life. Every one of us are responsible to have some virtue. Now, unfortunately, what happens to all of us, we get drained, we get strained, we get stressed, we get dry. We run out. We actually do not have a lot of margin in life. Some of us suffer from some of the same things that a person who does not know Christ is suffering from. We actually get fed up maybe with marriage problems and kid problems and finance problems and life problems and emotional and this and that. And so when we reach out into life, whether it's through the job or through school or neighborhood or just living life, however you live life, and you run into a need, which they're all over, by the way. And that need is right next to you, whether it's that woman that needs counseling or that man that's going through a horrible situation or that person with a sick body or this teenager that's uh, depressed and, and maybe thinking about suicide or something else and, and they have a definite need in their life and you can discern that, but you don't have anything in you to pull up and give out. You cannot give what you don't have. So we spent the last message trying to get your attention. Be filled with the virtue of Jesus. Increase your prayer life, your word life. Increase your relationship with Jesus. You can't falsify the virtue of Jesus. You can't fake it. Either you have it or you don't. You cannot take from someone else's well and release theirs. It's got to come from yours. So virtue is a very, very, very important part to live life. You cannot live like Jesus and release that virtue unless you have that virtue. Now, if you have Christ, you have that. If you don't have Christ, you don't have the virtue I'm talking about, the Jesus virtue. If you know Christ, but you're drained, you can get more virtue into your life. That's why the Bible teaches so much about prayer and word and eating the word of God, and worship, and fellowship, and filling up your well, and renewing your mind. Renewing your mind to have hope, and to have faith, and move in the gifts of the Spirit, and, and be discerning about life around you, and ready to take action on the needs that you run into. That's because you have enough virtue, enough margin to move into their realms. Now, there are times when you don't have margin, understood. Why we have fellowship, community, small group, teaching, preaching, worship, praise, intercessory prayer, everything we can to touch your life and get virtue into your life. That's what it's all about. The community of God is for us to refuel and refill and get more virtue and get encouraged and get some of that anointing in our life and renew our mind and remember that God is able and God is great and God is on my side and the devil is a liar and I can do more than I'm doing right now and there's more power in me than what's in the world and greater is he that's in me who is in the world. And the devil cannot do what he's trying to do to me. I'm going to build a hedge. I'm going to pray. I'm going to live in victory. Come on, can someone and shout a big amen. So we come to be built up so that we can actually go forth with strength and with virtue. Now, as we do that, here's a scripture I would like you to take down, and we're just going to park on this one portion of scriptures. Turn your Bibles, Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Matthew 9, 35 through 38. Then Jesus made a circuit. I'm reading the message translation. But I want you just to really focus on every word that I read for a moment. 
Everyone say, live like Jesus. Come on, everyone. And share his love. A little louder, live like Jesus. A little louder, share his love. So I want to live like Jesus. I want to share his love. I want to have grace-filled actions. I want to have the virtue of Jesus. I want to meet the needs around me. I want a strong flow to be coming from my life to reach into my family, my extended family, my friends, my acquaintances, the people I'll meet at the college and the high school and the job and the neighborhood and, and people all around me at the bus stop every day of my life, every situation. Jesus was involved in the marketplace. He was involved on the dusty road, the home, the synagogue. He was involved every place of life. Wherever Jesus went, he brought life to life. He was the person that looked at every piece of life as a place where he could have input and he could have some kind of a virtual deposit into the needs that were represented in that room, on that road, in that synagogue, on that mountain, wherever it was, just like you and me, wherever we go. There should be this reality in us that we're the light, we're the salt, we're the virtue, we're the answer. Not us as an individual, Jesus in us, but we are the people that bring a kingdom message to every circumstance, to every place that we go. Listen to the scripture. Then Jesus made a circuit of all the towns and villages. He taught in their meeting places, whether it's a synagogue, on the mountain, in a home. He taught wherever people gathered. He reported kingdom news. That is, he preached the kingdom. Now, if you're a person living in those days, the word kingdom was a known word because everything was around kings, kingdom, and dominion. He didn't have to explain the word kingdom. That's why they crucified him, by the way, because he taught that he was a king who had a kingdom who would have dominion. That's why they mocked him with a crown on his head, and they mocked him as the king come down from the cross because he was teaching about kingdom all the time. All of his parables, everything was about a kingdom rule, a kingdom dominion, kingdom power, kingdom miracles, kingdom teaching, a new reign, a new rule of God in a person's life. That's the teaching that Jesus brought. And so he went everywhere talking about the kingdom and the rule of God that would come into people's lives. Notice, and he healed their diseased bodies. He healed their bruised and hurt lives. Healing is always three deep, never one. Spirit, soul, and body. Jesus not only healed diseased bodies, he healed diseased souls. He not only heals a broken body, he heals a broken spirit, a broken mind, a broken heart, a broken hope, a hurt, a problem. Something that's going wrong in the inside of the person, the very psyche of the person, the soul of the person, the core of the person. Jesus was not just interested in touching the body of people in healing their sick bodies, although he did that. We have recorded miracles, and that's something we should believe for, and we understand that. But the most important was not the healing of the human body only because Jesus says himself, do not fear him who can destroy the body. Fear him who can destroy the body and the soul. So the most important healing was not just the temporal body, although for us that's a very important healing and we looked at that, but the most important healing was the eternal spirit of a person because every individual you know is eternal. Every person you speak with is eternal. 
They will spend eternity somewhere. They will have an eternal spirit, eternal soul. Every person. So Jesus went around. He healed their diseased bodies, mainly to bring forth the power of God and the power of Christ as he would then preach the message of the kingdom and heal the bruised and hurt life. Now, verse 37. When he looked out over the crowds, his heart broke. Why? Because Jesus saw in people what people can't see in people. When Jesus looked at a person, he saw the whole life. He didn't see just the outward, the external, the good looks, bad looks, tall, short, race, dress, income, degree, car, house. He never looked at a person one-dimensionally. He never saw only the outward. Think about it. Whenever Jesus looked at a person, he saw their whole life. When he talked to the woman at the well, because he saw her whole life, even though she might have been a beautiful prostitute, a beautiful woman. She was a woman who had sold her body. She's a woman who was doing things that were wrong. And she probably had the looks to go with her particular profession. And so here this beautiful woman sits by the well, and Jesus bypasses the external. He bypasses what seems to be. Who would know? And he says, you know, start talking with her about life and about the water of life, never thirst again, and this and that. And the woman asked him a question, and he starts dialoguing. And then he says to her, go get your husband. And she says, well, you know, I don't have one. He says, that's right. And the last four men have not been also. And so he starts dipping right into the real woman, the real life, the real history. What's going on with this gal? She says, I think you're a prophet, right? Maybe so. Let's talk about your life some more. Said she went back into the town and preached the gospel and said, a man just told me everything I ever did. You only have recorded a few verses, but the Bible says he told her everything she ever did. Think about that conversation. That someone could actually sit down with you and know that much about your life. When Jesus spoke to a person, He never saw the external only. He saw the beginning. He saw the life. He saw the hurts. He saw the wrecks. He saw the pains. He saw everything about it. That's why when people come to Christ and they accept Christ into their life, there's a lot of tears that flow. Why? Because they don't even know why, but they're feeling like they're coming to someone that loves them the way they are, knows what they've been through, is willing to forgive them, is willing to right now come into their life. There's something about that that they're willing to surrender their life to because Jesus knows everything about you and loves you the way you are. He knows every act against you. Everything that should have never been done. Everything you should have never done. Everything that has come through your mind, through your heart, through your emotion. Everything about you that has kind of mangled up your life to make you the person you are now. So when Jesus looked at the crowd, his heart broke. He could see over here this person who has never, ever been loved in their whole life. He could see this person over here who hates what happened to them, hates their father, hates their mother. This person over here who was put into jail wrongfully. This person over here who, and you just start going through the crowd. Every one of them represented a story. 
And some of those stories would break your heart. Just like some of your stories. Just like some of your failures and your flaws and your hurts, your total disappointments, the thoughts that go through your mind when you're totally by yourself. When you first get up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when, when you daydream during the day, if I, I should have, if it was different, I could have. I am so empty, it scares me. I don't have any kind of a future in destiny. Destiny so bothers me, I don't know what to do. I'm hurting so much because I'm falling out of love with my spouse and I don't know how to stop it. I've lost relationship with my kid and I don't know how to get it back. I don't really have a virtue about life. I'm just going and grinding through the gears. Jesus comes into that situation. His heart breaks. He says, I know exactly what I'm looking at. It says, these people are so confused. These people are so aimless. They might be wealthy. Don't be tricked by external presentation of people. When I was pastoring in Eugene one time, I would stand by the front door, you know, and after the services, I would shake hands with people on kind of my routine. And one day, this, this fine-looking couple was leaving the church. And I'm shaking hands and and I know them enough to know a little about them. They're both good looking. They're both wealthy. Their home, their house, their car, their life, their happiness, their smile, everything about them, you would say, I'd like to be them. So as I was greeting them on the way out the door, I'd said something to them and she turned around and walked right back. She had already gone past me out the door, turned around and came right back and stood right in my face. So no one else could hear her but just me. She said, Pastor Frank, what you see is not who I am. All of this is nothing compared to what's inside of me. It looks so good but I'm not. Just I'm not the person you think I am. Well, we went, you know, from snorkeling to scuba diving real fast. <laughs> For her to stop at the door in 10 seconds, say to me, don't be deceived, buddy. This ain't me. So I said, can we talk? She says, we can. I met with her and her husband. I said, tell me who you really are then. She told me, oh my goodness. This woman's life was a wreck. Talk about a redemption story and a miracle of how she had come through so much pain, so much hurt, so much disappointment, more than anybody deserved in any one lifetime. But I could never know that by looking at the person. If we are going to live love, we need to get some x-ray vision that we might see people the way they really are, not the way they appear 
to be. So that we can actually reach with compassion, wisdom, and knowledge into their life and say, I sense there's something else going on here. And I want to bypass your personality and all your money or, or your good looks or you're an athlete or you're this or, you know, people put on so many different kinds of shows sometimes to hide so many things that's inside of them instead of just saying, hey, would somebody really like to know who I am? Most people don't do that. How many of you would say you might be a little different than what people think you are? How many of you would also say that you probably know a lot of people that are different than you think they are? Now, to live love means I see the harvest the way it really is. Confused, aimless, sheep without a shepherd. Then Jesus says, what a huge harvest but I want you to notice what the harvest is. Not the healthy, it's the sick. It's those that need some kind of a healing, a touch, a life, a virtue, a a hope. He said to his disciples, how few workers. Now notice, Jesus in this context, where this verse is used all the time, in this context, Jesus is not talking about missions. The harvest is plentiful, but the missionaries are few. Everybody that's in the ministry has preached that scripture. And so we always point to Afghanistan and Iraq and Brazil and and the harvest, and we show pictures of masses of people in India, and we cry out, will somebody please go to the masses? And a few people say, yes, me, Lord, I will go, and they have a spiritual experience and an encounter, and we send them out, and everybody goes, wow, that's so awesome of that person. But he's not talking about missions. He's not talking about church plants. He's not talking about some big deal send out. He's talking about people laboring where they live. Think about it. He says, oh, the harvest. The harvest is so huge. And there are so few people that see the harvest, see the people, speak into the need, reach out and take care of it right where they are. If everybody could get spiritualized and have a heart for the harvest around them, think of the thousands of people that can be touched every single day because the church goes into thousands of places. The pastors don't go there. The missionaries don't go there. You go there and you are a kingdom person on a kingdom mission to bring kingdom power that will release people from their prison themselves, bring healing into their life and a message of hope. Brothers and sisters, friends in Christ, you are the mission. Come on. You're the mission. Ain't nobody else. I might never talk to anybody you know. Probably no other pastor will either. But you can. What's your response? Here's your response. Open my eyes. Everyone say, open my eyes. Fill my heart. Teach me to pray. Send me to others. What's our response? Open my eyes, fill my heart. Teach me to pray. Send me to others. Open my eyes. Fill my heart. Teach me to pray. Send me to others. 
Open my eyes. People right now, Christ has put into your life people that need him. People that need an answer. People that need something from you that if you would give them, you could be the pivotal point of their destiny. You could be the person that will change the whole eternal part of their life. But we got to pray. And we have to go and do right where we live. Another scripture, Acts 10.38. This is your scripture now. Jesus was among the people. Acts 10.38. Jesus arrived from Nazareth, anointed. Everyone say anointed. By God with the Holy Spirit, ready for action. He went through the country helping people, healing everyone who was beaten down by the devil. He was able to do all this because God was with him. What is a win in Christianity? Is it bigger buildings? No. More programs? No. Well, you know, Sunday tithe was good. That's great, but that's not really a a win. It's a win for certain parts of us, but it's... What is a win? In football... When they score, everybody goes bananas. Like U of O did multiple times against the poor Nevada people. In basketball, when a person makes a shot or a dunk, the whole crowd goes bananas. In baseball, when they hit the grand slam and it wins the game, especially in a World Series, oh my goodness, the whole world goes crazy. In hockey, no one knows what they're doing. You have... All kinds of things. The only thing I know about hockey is you better get a good dentist. And so in hockey, it's a different, but there's a win, there's a win, there's a score. You know, the, the, the little thing goes into the other thing down there and there's a score. In golf. In Christianity, there's only one vital score to go up on the board. It's when a person received Jesus Christ as their savior. That's when the Bible says all the angels stand up and cheer. All the angels don't stand up and cheer for a lot of other things. But when someone is about ready to leave the kingdom of darkness and get into the kingdom of light, all of heaven kind of gets under their tiptoe. Here it goes. Come on, Holy Spirit, help them. Here we go, here we go. And there's angels assigned to every soul. And so there's personal angels that are really cheering this on. What's going to happen here? Here we go. Here comes another person leaving the kingdom of darkness. They're coming, they're coming. Boom, bam, whap, slam dunk, hit, puck. <laughs> Score. A person got saved. We have a scoreboard. It's called transform lives. It's called bringing a person to Jesus. It's called winning them into the kingdom of God. Can we somehow just give the Lord Jesus a big shout and a clap right now and say, I understand what the win is. Fourfold from this message Four things you do. Share the gospel, pray for miracles, shepherd the people, pray for more workers. That's it. Very simple. 
Share the gospel. Pray for miracles. Shepherd the people. Pray for more workers. Not more missionaries, not more pastors. Workers, people that will labor where they live. Workers. Jesus says, you know, if you would do that, that huge harvest that's out there would be saved. Something would happen in that harvest. If that's so important, let's just talk for a few minutes about the one thing. Let's talk about share the gospel. Sharing the gospel, when you talk about evangelism and sharing the gospel with people, it's like putting up a Weight Watchers picture and telling everybody who needs to go on a diet. And people start, you know, <clears throat> not me, or yes, me. How many here on all the campuses today need to lose at least five pounds? How many need to lose? I won't keep going. Okay. How many know that you should not eat fast food? How many of you eat fast food? How many ate fast food within the last 24 hours? You will go to hell directly to hell. Well, if that was true, you'd probably quit. But we know certain things. Like when it comes to diet, we know, but we just exercise. We know, eat right, we know. But it seems like it's the hardest thing to put the no into the do. Is that right? How many of you know that if a person doesn't accept Christ, and they die, their destiny is in a place you don't want them to go. You know that. How many of you know to share the gospel is your responsibility, and sharing the gospel is more than just living the gospel. There is a verbiage that goes with the living. There's a sharing of content that goes with the preaching of the gospel. If that wasn't true, you would not have 14 epistles. You would not have any teaching with the word gospel in it because it just means, hey, live your life and somebody will ask you. That is not true. I just want you to know that's a Christian cop-out. Well, I just live like Jesus and, and you know, I've sowed so much light and seed. I'm sure people will just know Jesus because I live. If they haven't asked you, maybe your living is a little below what you think. Amen, Frank. That is such a great point. Wow, I am really into this message. Thank you so very much. Now, if no one's asking, it could be that you're not penetrating with your lifestyle. Which means you need to add verbiage with your life. Like saying to someone, if you died today, do you know where you would spend eternity? That might seem like a very funny question for you to ask, but it might be the only one they've heard. Well, no, I haven't, I haven't thought about eternity for maybe never. Should I be thinking about it? Yes, you should be thinking about it. Are you kidding me? Do you, do you believe there's a God? Well, I don't know. I haven't thought that much about God. I like cheeseburgers and pizza, and I, I don't know about God. Well, do you believe in the Bible? I don't know. I've never, never read the Bible. Am I supposed to be interested in the Bible? You'd be surprised at most people if you don't ask them they won't even think about it. They'll just go on with life. All right? Take this down. Romans 1, 16, 17. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel. 
It is the power of God to salvation. Now, whatever the gospel is, is the power. Because that's what Romans 1.16 says. It's the power of God to salvation for everyone. Shout everyone. everyone. So no one's outside of the limits of the atonement of Christ and the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. If you want to know what the gospel is, here it is. Here's the gospel. In a nutshell, there's many scriptures, but here's a simple one. What is the gospel, Frank? 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. Okay, Paul, thank you very much. Which I preached to you. Thank you very much. Would you let me know what that is? Which you also received and which you stand. Okay, you declared it. You preached it and I stand in it. What is it? For which also you are saved. Okay. I can be saved by the gospel. What is the gospel? If you hold fast that word which I preach to you. Okay, I want to hold it fast. I want to stand. I want to hear it. What is it? He finally says to you very simply, I deliver to you, first of all, that which I also received, the gospel. What is the gospel? Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. If that piece of content is not in your sharing with people, they haven't heard the gospel. And that he was buried and rose from the dead. If that's not in your presentation, they have not heard the gospel. There are many people who think they're Christ. There are many philosophies. There's many ways to talk about. But Paul says, you have to go to the bottom line. What's the bottom line? Christ died for your sins. Well, I don't think I'm a sinner. Well, you better start talking about it right there. Christ died for your sins. Well, what do you mean? I, I don't think I have sin. Well, let me explain to you what that means. And he died and rose on the third day, according to the scripture. Now, here's another scripture. Take it down, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Now, when we, now then, we are ambassadors. You know what that word means. A kingdom person of Christ. Now, listen to Paul's wording. As though God were pleading through us. Think about this. Paul chooses one of those Greek words that has such powerful emotional content with it. To plead is to beg. To plead is to get down on your knees and to shed tears and to show emotion. Like pleading for someone to release your child who is going to be sentenced to death and you were pleading with the judge, please don't do this to my child. It's pleading. Paul uses this word to say, We are ambassadors, but what do we do? As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. And here's Paul's idea of evangelism. Paul's idea of evangelism is what's in you. There's a burden, a pleading, a begging, an interest, a reality that you are pleading for that person. Will you please let me talk with you? Will you please listen to me just one more time? I know you put me up. I know that you don't believe some of these things, but, but I'm begging you. I am begging you to please let me talk with you one more time. Well, why is it so important to you? Because it is important to me. I believe that if you will listen to me, something will happen to your life. I'm begging. I'm pleading. I'm imploring. I'm trying to get you to listen to me. I want you to understand the gospel. Can you think of anything more horrible? anything, than a person 
According to my Bible and my belief system, when Christ comes back again, the dead in Christ will rise. All of us who are alive are caught up together with him in the air. And then we all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And it says the books will be opened and every name will be read. Bible. Can you think of anything more horrible than a person appearing before the judgment seat of God? Of course, if you don't believe in the Bible, this would not cause any heartache for you. But if you do, and that person stands there and the books are open, D, 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 A, D, A, D, A, D, A, M, A, Books are open. It says that every name's written on the book. I guess there's enough angels and software to do this right. They got it down. Every name is recorded. Now we know how easy that is in today's modern technology. Of course, heaven already had this before Bill Gates. And so heaven has it all down. And it comes down and says, oh, Frank, Frank, Frank Damasio, is, is that you? Yes. Um, I have a Charles, I have a Nick, I have a Mary. I don't have a Frank. Well, of course you do. Look in your book. I'm looking in the book. I'm so sorry, Frank. Your, your, your name's not in this book. Of course my name's in the book. I fed the poor. I visited people in prison. I gave water to the thirsty and clothed the naked. Sent money to the mission field. What are you talking about? My name's not in the book. Can you think of anything more horrible that a person lives their whole life thinking they are born again, thinking they heard the gospel and they've never heard the gospel? They never really came to a place of repentance. They never came to a place of being born again. They never came to the content of the gospel the way it had to happen for them to believe that Christ died for their sins, for them to accept that, be transformed by that, and to live with the fruit of salvation in their life, that they are born again, and that they're actually under King Jesus, surrendering their life, becoming a disciple, bearing their cross, and sharing the gospel with other people. By their fruits you shall know. Can you think of anything worse than a person who thought they were okay because you let them think that? Now, if I know the person... And I'm standing there in line with everybody else. And I'm thinking, I, I talk with them. What did he say? Their name's not in the book of life? I thought for sure I led them to Christ. I, I left a track under their plate and I, I talked with them about things and I invited them to church and, and, and they did give toward the youth camp and, and they were great people. What do you mean their name is not in the book? Can you think of anything more horrible? Now, if you go deeper, what about your child? What about your spouse? What about your uncle, aunt, grandfather, grandmother? What about the people that you actually could talk to? Jesus told a parable that's worse than what I'm saying. He said there was a man who died, and instead of going into Abraham's bosom, which is pri prior to cross, he went into Sheol, hell, Gehenna, that place of holding tank of all those 
prior to when Jesus takes the keys and takes those souls, Ephesians 4, and all that, the whole theology of heaven and hell, they're in a holding tank. Jesus tells a parable about a man who went there. And the man, it says, Jesus, this is Jesus, says, the man with dying of thirst was in torment, begging for one drop of water, crying out day and night. And you know what the man said? The man's torment caused him to say this. Would someone please go tell my brothers not to come to this place? Please. Would someone, would an angel, would anybody go tell my brothers to not come to this place? This is Jesus' parable. Jesus says the witness of Christ and the gospel of the kingdom will be what the brothers have to respond to. There will be no angel going to your brothers. He will have to respond to the same gospel that you didn't respond to. And if they don't, they will end up in the same place. It's a Jesus parable. Now, I know that I'm treading on, on emotional ice here. I know that I'm pressing the envelope with a feeling that maybe we could all do better. Of course we can. Of course we can. But I just felt in my heart to press the issue of salvation and true content salvation and gospel salvation and for you to open your mouth and speak with your own family, your own friends, and make sure you know how to share the gospel. Not Christianity in America, not Christianity in churchianity, but the gospel and the scripture means something has to happen in them and it takes content for that to happen. Would you write down the word gospel, G-O-S-P-E-L? Let me give you an acronym real quickly and this will help you share the gospel with anybody. Write this down in your Bible, on your hand, wherever you can get to it real quick. Just write this down. G. God created us for a purpose. That's a great start point for anybody. Is you convince them God created you for a purpose. You're not an accident. You, you're a person of purpose. There's a destiny for your life. There's a God in heaven who knows who you are. Oh, our sins separate us from God. There's a real problem in the universe and the cosmos and there's a thing called something wrong. It's called our sin. That's why you have a conscience. That's why you feel bad when you do things. That's why there's guilt. That's why there's shame. I didn't come up with those words. They're part of the human psyche. Where did it come from? Because there's sin. There's something wrong. There's something we do that, that gets into our conscience and into our life, and we know we need to change it. The word S means sins cannot be removed by good deeds. How many times have you had people say, well, I give and I do, and it's not what you do. It's what's been done. It's not what you do. It's what's been done. It's not what you do, it's what's been done in the cross, on the cross for you. You cannot do it for yourself. You cannot work your way into heaven. You have to understand that your sins cannot be removed by good deeds. The letter P, paying the price that only could be paid by Jesus. Jesus paid the price for your sin. Why? He was the son of God. He was born of a virgin. He died, rose again. Thousands of people saw him. It's 
a proven fact. It's not a myth. It's not something that I'm making up. There are more people to talk about what happened with Jesus. Even today, they're still talking about what happened because so many people were involved with what happened with this man. He died and he rose again. He broke the appointment of death. E, everyone can be saved. Well, you know, Frank, I'm so bad. And you know, there's this wrong. And I don't know if Jesus could ever forgive me. There's some people like that. Or I don't know if I really need this. You have to get through that. And the word L, or the letter L, life with Jesus starts immediate, immediate, immediate. Eternal life starts immediate when you accept Jesus, immediately, right then, right then. Put down a one scripture evangelism scripture. This scripture will work with anybody, anytime, if you will study it. One scripture, Romans 6, 23. Romans 6.23 is the easiest scripture to memorize and to use for the wages of sin are death. Wages is something you earn and it's paid. But the gift of eternal life, gifts is something someone else buys and gives you. Wages of sin, the gift of eternal life, the bridge, the cross, crossing over, to accept Jesus is that you must understand the wages of your sin will bring death in your life, ultimately eternal death, but there's a gift waiting for you. And if you'll accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, your sins will be forgiven. Your life will be changed. Romans 10 verse 9 and 10 I use every time. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, thou shalt be saved. I don't care what I think about that. The Bible says that's good enough for the kingdom of God. If you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth and pray that prayer with people, even sometimes where there's no emotion and tears shed and, and, a, and a great earthquake of something happened, just that people move into a new realm and something opens up in their spirits. And God gets a hold of their life, starts drawing them in. It's the open door. 